it's funny how a lot of people say like, oh, this is 95% done, but it's like that last 5% takes like months. It's, it's like <laughs> if that last 5% takes months and the first 95% took like a few weeks, is that last 5% really the 95%? And like, <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's a fractal. When you look at it, it actually just expands to another 95%. So yeah, that yeah, first exactly. 95% was really just 30%. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of TheUnce.com and Bill's Nepalese Sherpa. However, my specialty is finding the best momos, not mountains. Bill's guest this week is Justin Beretta. He's one-third of The Glitch Mob, one-half of 29 Palms with Ua, one-half of Superposition with Matthew Davis, and 100% of Beretta. He's been making glitch, hip-hop, and ambient music for nearly two decades. He's had huge commercial success and toured around the world and also been a part of the wild remix project for daft punk's tron legacy soundtrack alongside moby avici and pretty lights among others recently he's been backing classic spoken word selections from alan watts and ram das with his gorgeous ambient productions I've always enjoyed chatting with Beretta because he has such a wealth of knowledge about electronic music and beyond, and you can just tell he gives a shit. Support for this episode comes from Perfect Circuit. It's an independent music shop fascinated with all things in the world of electronic music. They have a diverse range of musicians running the shop that sells synths, modular recording, and pro audio gear that they ship worldwide. They're every bit as excited about Aphex Twin as they are Morton Sabotnik, and every bit as stoked about the newest Eurorack module as they are about the newest Moog synthesizer. I'm editorializing here, but I imagine they're also excited about Mort Garson. Speaking of Mort's, remember not only to water your plants, but also queue up Plantasia. It'll help them grow. They set Bill up with the preamp you're listening to in this episode, which is why he sounds so good. Visit perfectcircuit.com for more information and to drool over all their cool gear. Please rate and review this podcast on whichever podcatcher you're using. It really helps people find the show and join the Patreon to get early access to episodes, bonus content, and full video of every podcast from here on out. That's especially helpful when Beardy Man is showing off his wicked bespoke beatboxing setup or Richard Devine is making Bill pass out from a grisly medical story. Finally, head over to MrBillsTunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore able tenere. We're currently running a production contest for Spec Bill's latest and most exhaustive sample pack that's open to hardcore members and features some really sick prizes like a one-on-one session with Bill. Submissions are due by February 22nd. You can also check out Bill's new feed of micro tutorials and other fun musings from him on the HCA feed. And one last thing, Bill's new track, Ride or Die with Mandy, is out now on We Are Friends Volume 10 from Mousetrap, which features tracks from Dead Mouse, Atlas, and a bunch of other acts on there from the Mousetrap family. Go check it out. All right, enjoy Bill's chat with Beretta. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you are listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. Hey, you're 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 listening to the Mr. Bill Podcast. 
Okay, we're recording. Awesome. Sick, man. Well, yeah, thanks thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I I uh I I love your your online course, your the able to near course. Oh, cool. You check that out. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I I joined like very early on. I just I love learning new new tricks. I love YouTube. I love your channel. I've, I mean, I, I just, I make, I'm so obsessed with learning new Ableton tricks and music theory stuff from YouTube. It's so crazy how much you can learn. And yeah, I've, I've, I've learned a lot of, of good stuff recently online. Yeah. It's insane these days. I mean, people think you need to have all the gear and like go to school and whatnot to like you know, be a good producer or whatever, but it's literally, you can just have like a laptop and a set of headphones and YouTube access to the internet. That's it. Basically. And yeah, you can get what I call a YouTube degree these days, which is like, I mean, I've got friends, right. Who have never gone to university or anything. And they just like picked up, uh, you know, a copy of like touch designer or something, which is like, you know, a visual program or like a node based program for doing like, you know, usually show related stuff like taking certain inputs and sending it somewhere and what whatnot. It's like max MSP or whatever, but for visuals, I guess. You can do crazy stuff with touch. Yeah. And I've I've got multiple friends at this time at this point who have just like picked touch up and then like started watching shit on YouTube and now they're like working for giant companies, like <laughs> yeah. running huge shows. Yes. You can you can learn so so much at YouTube University. And and also I find it to be really useful because um, I'll I'll learn tricks in from places where I wouldn't normally have found them. Right, where like there's this guy that I follow. I don't remember his name, but he's a he's like a jazz music instructor, and just the way that he thinks and talks about scales like is is totally blowing my mind. Is it Adam Neely? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I love that guy. He's awesome. I've had him yeah, on the podcast too, actually. Oh, okay, cool. He's amazing. Yeah, he's a super educated guy. So he he actually got a degree. I think he went to Berkeley. Okay. And then um but yeah, I mean the the way that he um yeah, puts information out on his channel is crazy. He's just yeah, amazing bass player and just like a really good thinker. I asked him um actually like how he makes his videos. Is it just like stuff that he knows that he's sharing or is it um or does he go like, "Oh, I want to learn more about X." And then dive down the rabbit hole on that and then share his findings kind of. And he said, it's like hundred percent the latter, like he's, which is like kind of the sickest job ever, right? Like he's, he's turned his curiosity of things into a job as, as a YouTuber. So he's, he just is like, Oh, I want to learn more about, you know, how to, how, I don't know, this 432 Hertz thing works or something. And then just spend right. like, he can justify spending like two or three weeks just looking into nothing but that because it's like a career for him at this point. Oh, that's so fun. That that I I see the uh the the drive to want to do something like that and I I've thought about it, of doing something very similar on my own and then I just keep coming back around to making music, but um I'm so glad that that people do that <laughs> because we all we all benefit and the quality has gotten so good. The fascinating thing for me is is people who do track breakdowns and how good people have gotten at that. Like you can search any popular producer and be like, oh, breakdown of how this this works. And the and even it's what's I'm more impressed with the time that people spend and the accuracy um, 
of the track breakdowns and the way that they can pick apart. Because I was like, wow, this is this actually sounds a lot like the track. It's really fascinating to me that kind of like the reverse engineering process, because I do that a lot on my own. And I always have loved studying, especially around like more sound design mixing stuff and high level creative techniques or like arrangement, listening to some other track, especially if it's something totally unrelated studying that, picking it apart, throwing it at Ableton and like figuring out how it works. Um, and the fact that people have made that into a whole industry, I think is, is super useful and fun. Yeah, totally. Um, have you seen that YouTube channel genius? That's like one of the ones where they get a lot of those popular producers on like, uh, Ludwig Goranson or whatever the guy who, uh, made that song with childish Gambino red, whatever it's called like it's basically a bunch of pop pop songs oh, okay no i don't think producer. i've seen that one yeah i think i think it's put together by vice maybe it might be like okay or maybe i don't know i'm thinking of maybe earworm or something but yeah it is crazy that these days um <clears throat> i remember still there was a time in the music industry where all producers would be like no these tricks are mine you can't like yes. see these tricks because otherwise if you have these tricks then what am i you know like <laughs> yeah that those days are over. And and mm. I think people that were really uh, masterful and masters of their craft knew that, that that was bullshit early on. I had a couple experiences, really lucky run-ins with mentors early on that made me always want to share. Um, I, I ran into Dave Tipper very early on in, in my whole process and got to hang out with him and he was just so generous with his knowledge. He gave me and, and a group of friends, we were all hanging out in Hawaii playing shows in like early glitch mob days. And he gave us a whole folder of reactor patches that he'd been <laughs> collecting and building. And I was like, thank you. Um, and there's no, no hoarding of this information because obviously he's tipper. Like he's so good at what he does that giving these kids reactor patches is not going to take anything away from him. And I think it's the switch from thinking of everything as a zero sum game to like, well, you can improve and you can improve and I can improve and we can all get better and, and share. And that is something, I mean, people, uh, including myself, bitch and moan about the internet a lot and all of the, the negative things that it has done. But I think what you said is so right on. It has really done a lot for the democratization of production skills and, and knowledge and information. Yeah, I think so too. I think, um, <clears throat> like, let's say hypothetically, you just took production skills off the table completely and we all just had like, I don't know, some sort of receiver in our head that could just like, you know, transmit to a computer and we could just think whatever music was in our head to exist, right? Um, therefore, like any uh, finagling of software is just like, who gives a shit? It doesn't, it's irrelevant now, right? Um, well, then it would just be, come down to just who you know could think of the coolest music basically and I, <laughs> right. I think that basically is like where music production is headed um not to like this chip area but uh at least to an area where nobody is you know held back by a lack of knowledge you know you're only held back by how lazy you are really at this point. right or like imagination <laughs> exactly yeah it's like at this point if you have the drive to go on youtube and learn everything you can there and read a bunch of shit on the internet and learn everything you can there, then really it puts you on the same playing field as any producer and, and you, sh you should just only be held back at that point by, yeah, your, your imagination of what, what you can envision music being. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I remember, I mean, now it's, it's so funny, like when, when Glitch Mob first started and when we were making these really like hyper glitchy <clears throat> edits to, to music, where it was all done by hand where we would like, we were writing in Cubase or like early Ableton and, and now there's plugins to do this. And, and at, at the time it was really time consuming to like take a song, chop it up. But I, I remember when Debu glitch first came out, it was just like, you know, some of the first glitch plugins where I was like, Oh my God, you just turn it on and it does this thing that we had been doing, but everything is, is going that way. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the same thing. I talked to photographer friends about this, where there's, there's different schools of thought where it's like, there are some photographers that think that Instagram is a bad thing and it really took away from the mastery of photography. And, and, and there are people that feel that um, it's really allowed people to tap into what it feels like to be a photographer. And I'm, I'm also more of the latter school of thought across everything. Like you know, At the same time, there is something to mastery of doing something every day and getting better at it and putting in the... 10, 20, 30,000 hours till you really know something. I, I mean, I don't think that this is a replacement for really knowing your tools, but I think anything that is going to make these tools less expensive and easier to use, so it allows more and more people to do this because it's like using, doing glitch edits in Cubase, like that would take anyone a long time to learn if you have no, no idea, but now you can get, there's all sorts of amazing iPhone apps that you can just like, like uh, Andrew's new flip sampler app, like you can just open it up. Like my mom could make a song in an hour if I showed her. And I think that that is really cool. All of that stuff is really, is built in though. So there's not this this technical hill that you have to climb to really like have the experience of making music. Right, exactly. So it's not um, like I was sort of saying before, it's, it's not like now you only get to hear the music available to you by the people who had access to the knowledge. It's like now we almost have access to the music that anybody can make if they want to yeah which is kind of cool it's like well i wonder what you know yeah your mom's music sounds like it's like hey mom here's a thing like do whatever <laughs> yeah. and, and then all of a sudden we know like what kind of a producer your mom is it's like that's a pretty cool thing it is yeah i mean and and in the same way i i'm i don't know about you but i didn't come from um like classical music training i didn't even take piano lessons growing up. I didn't really play in bands. Like I got Fruity Loops um, and that was my entry point into all of this. So I am a pro complete 100% product. Everything I do is a product of people who've been creating these tools. I wouldn't be making music if it wasn't for that probably. Um, I remember taking, taking piano lessons and it was just boring to me as a kid. <laughs> I just didn't really connect. And um, I tried to get out of doing anything musical in school until I found... Fruity Loops and um, drum and bass and an Aphex Twin. And I was like, oh, I want to do this. This is way more fun <laughs> because I could just tinker around with it. So I think it's like, it's, just, it's the same sort of thing where how people who were recording albums in the, in the 90s or in the, certainly before that, you would have to go to some massive studio with a big Pro Tools rig and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gear. And like, <laughs> you don't, you don't need that now. And I, and I think, I think it's a really good thing. And I think people have finally embraced that. Um, although, you know, you know, the difference between a really good mix when you hear it, when someone has done, has really knows what they're doing and they can make a song sound, um, timeless and full. And you have this, there's like an, an ear you get from working so much that you can't really replace with, with technology. 
but um, you shouldn't have to have you shouldn't have to basically be a computer nerd like us to to <laughs> to have the fun of making this stuff. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the same with Instagram, right? It's um, now it's accessible to everybody. Uh, but I mean, I, I also ask myself, like somebody like me who doesn't know a lot about photography, could I really tell the difference between a really well shot thing that an amateur did on an iPhone versus like, you know, someone who has $10,000 worth of camera gear doing some crazy shit. Like I, and probably not, you know, like nine times out of 10, if I, you know, looked at just two really good pictures that were taken, I'd probably be like, man, they're both sick. Like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I guess it, d- it depends on if you have a photographer that, um, that really knows their gear and has a good eye. I think it's the same thing like a photographer. I'm you, someone who has a good eye, who's t- who's taken a lot of pictures and knows how to frame something could could do better with an iPhone than someone who who's a total amateur but has all of this really expensive gear. Mm. Yeah, um I mean it's the same with music though, right? Uh well, see the thing is like people who are super into photography, like I have one friend who's super into it. He has this like little disc that sits on his screen to like calibrate the colors in his monitor, (laughs) which is like crazy. Um, And I mean, obviously I don't have that. Uh, And that, that is maybe the equivalent of like, you know, owning LCD X's or something like that. (laughs) Thank both of us. Yeah, exactly. We're we're both wearing them Um, versus, uh, you know, your average person who, might be listening to music on just their phone speaker or, or, you know, like some Bluetooth JBL thing that they just carry around the house or whatever, or, you know, some whatever. Um, and I think at that, that level, like, you know, there's a lot of people just can't tell the difference between a good and a bad mix. And they're not listening for that anyway. You know, they're more or less just listening for how the music sounds and whatnot. And how it makes them feel. And I think good and bad is even, it's ultimately subjective. I mean, I think that, um, like when you come from this this more old school school of mixing where everything has to be a certain way it's really fascinating with like um and if you spend much time on tiktok or the way that people like redo these duets where they will like rap into uh earbuds and then someone else will like add on to it. And there's people that are making hits and having so much fun doing this. And it has really, really low quality. And I think it's all a testament to creating with what you have versus like waiting for some other piece of gear. And like, you can make amazing music that makes that moves people and feels a certain way without having to spend $10,000 on headphones. (laughs) Right. And then I guess there's also the question of if I'm, if a billion people think that this thing is sick, but you think it's produced like shit, then who's, who's right and who's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I ask myself that a lot. I'm like, and I mean, the answer I keep coming to obviously is that like music is a subjective experience and everybody's no one's right and no Mm -hmm. one's wrong. But I mean, there is some sort of like, uh, like capitalistic value of, you know, a billion people liking a thing versus you not. Yes, it's true. I mean, I do think that there's a difference between like popular and good. <laughs> and I think good is also subjective. But just because something's popular, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's timeless or it's going to stand the test of time, right? Because there's some music that is is just popular and people like it because it's hitting the algorithm right now. And, and um, I think that we live in this world where 
you know, as artists, we are constantly presented with the, all of the way that our music is performing and even just that whole concept. But it's like when you, when you pull those things apart and you just like music that really stands the test of time, I believe is authentic and it is something that is honest and you really love it. And you're saying something, you're exploring a concept that is true to who you are versus music or any art that is really just a reaction to something that's happening. It's like meme culture. And there's just because something has a bazillion likes on YouTube. I mean, people love that and maybe it made their day better, but I don't think in a hundred years you're going to be listening back to that. I mean, like, remember that one TikTok that was so funny when the cat was like, meow, and then they remixed it. And, you know, I think it's, it is a, it is a different thing. Yeah, that's kind of true. If I think back to like 10 or maybe even longer, like, almost 20 years ago at this point i'm generally not going like oh yeah remember like trogdor or like you know, <laughs> yeah. a banana phone or anything i'm like oh yeah i was listening to tool at that time <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i was listening to the burninator or yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> <laughs> or the, trogdor. Oh, yeah trogdor or uh, <laughs> uh chocolate rain i mean those are funny they're cultural moments that define yeah, yeah. something right now it's like well someone's gonna make a make a song about dogecoin and it's going to be hilarious but um i don't know it's not it's not like you listen to music this is more of entertainment right it's like entertainment on one side art on the other side and it's a spectrum and i think it's good to have a little bit of both where it's like you're, you're respecting the listener because if you go so far off into art where it gets so abstract that it doesn't actually relate to anyone or people don't relate to it and then you know full entertainment as we're talking about like meme cats <laughs> somewhere in the middle writing that line is, is stuff that really sits with people and is incorporated <clears throat> into their lives. Yeah. I definitely think there's like a solid middle ground where you can like reach a lot of people and also uh, be doing something that's like honest and to yeah and, and relevant to your interests and stuff like that. I mean, I feel like the glitch mob is a good example of that, right? Or I guess um, a tipper is a great example of that. He's, you know, reaching a shitload of people at this point, but he's clearly doing something that he really cares about and is putting putting a lot of thought into. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, t- Tipper's a great example of that. Um, I mean, Glitch Mob, like, we've been able to... Because our first album, Drink the Sea, like, when that came out, it was so different from what we had been doing before. We've been able to make a different album each time and I th- at this point, when that, when that album first came out, a lot of people really hated it. And we got a lot of hate on the internet because it was, you know, we were making more like glitchy dance floor banger remixes. And then we went into Drink the Sea, which was something totally different. But for us, it was really satisfying to just try something totally new and different and throw out all of our tools um, technically and then go off on a limb and then if anything the album is is it's just it's, it's honest like that's where we were at the time um we were going through stuff in life there was like breakups and all this crazy just like life drama was happening so writing the album was more of a way for us to deal with life and it was like therapeutic therapeutic process um so in that sense it was it was honest and um yeah i mean i've i've always looked up to to mr tipper for he just does his own thing. He always has. I mean, I used to, when I first got into DJing, I was like really about jungle and drum and bass and breaks. And at the time he was like making like all of his early fuel record stuff. We were like 
much faster 130 BPM breaks. And but he always had his own sound. You can always hear a tipper track, even back to the very first ones. You're like, oh, that's that's him. And um, I think the combination of that plus the fact that he was always so so kind and so forward with the music. Like for him, and even when he when he DJs even today, like he doesn't say anything like he just goes up there and plays music and it's really all about the sound and he's such a master of his craft that's something that's always been um really really super inspiring to me and also uh richard divine same thing someone who just like he's all about the craft and the ex the exploration of new realms and he's he's such a like community oriented mentor although he wouldn't say that but he's he's been um very very helpful for a lot of people just in the way that he is constantly pushing things. Dude. Yeah. I had Richard on the podcast, um, uh, like last week. Oh, okay, uh, cool. And the craziest shit happened. He was like, has he ever told you his story about his heart surgery? Yes. I, that was such a, such a crazy moment. It's an really insane scary. story, man. Insane yeah, story. So he told me this story and about like 10 minutes into it, I, I just started feeling like really, really queasy. And I was like, oh, man, fuck, I feel like real queasy. And then <clears throat> like a couple more minutes into it, I was like, oh, man, like I'm feeling bad. And he just like kept telling it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then I like put my hands down like in my head. Um, I'll just play you the video. Hold on. This is like going to just do me saying anything. It's just going to cheapen this story. Um, yeah, I can share my screen with you real quick. All right. Can you see my screen? Yep. All right, one sec. Let me uh, find this video to play you. Oh man, right. he, and also he like he does not pull punches when he's telling crazy stories too. Oh uh, yeah, so like he's telling me this story. You can see me being like, oh shit, this is like making me queasy. I put my my head down, and then check this out. Just bam, passed out. No way. But dude, and then check this out. I like s slowly wake up. Wait, he, at this point, he doesn't know that you actually passed out. He has He's no idea that I'm like completely passed out. He's still just telling his story. And then, and then hold on. This is, it gets even crazier. So at this point, I'm like just completely out. And then I just, bam, onto the floor. Just full blown oh, passed shit. out. Oh, shit. <laughs> He's laughing. Oh, my God. He has no idea. He has no idea, yeah. And then I was out for like two minutes. And then... Oh my I, uh, God, and then, holy shit. And then I woke oh. up to uh, this, just like a huge pool of blood. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, so I like cracked the back of my head open and then <laughs> I had to go to hospital and uh, I ended up with uh, three staples in the back of the head. Oh my God. <laughs> when, Richard... He's he's so funny too because I can see him still. He's still just talking throughout that whole thing because he's just he's got yeah. he's got this like crazy horror show mind. And I can see at what point did he figure out that like you were actually passed out bleeding out on the floor? So he he just like had no idea until I like came back with a towel and like like I so I got up and I was like oh like oh man I'm fucking out of it like what the hell just happened and he still didn't know and then I like went and laid on my bed over there for a minute because I was just like oh man I'm, I feel so sick 
And then I like went into the bathroom and got a towel and like started mopping blood off the back of my head. And then I came back in and I was like, oh shit, this isn't good, man. I gotta, I gotta go to the hospital. And, um, and then that's when he was like, oh fuck, like I had no idea. <laughs> Dude, I, I, everything okay now? You're all good? No concussion or anything? There was no concussion. I still have the staples. I get them out in like two days or something. But yeah, it was still crazy. I know that story so well. I've heard him tell it so many times that I won't, I'm not going to go back into it. Don't worry, but I can, I can, uh, wow. (laughs) I'm glad you're okay. I mean, it's a great story, but yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, it's not a great story. It's like a horrible story, but I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have like a pretty vivid imagination when it comes to that kind of shit. And I, whenever somebody starts telling me about some insane medical shit, like I can just imagine it so vividly that it just fucks me up. Wow. Do you watch like horror movies? Horror movies are fine. Uh, and actually like any medical crazy shit in movies is also fine because I know it's a movie, right? So like there's some part of my brain that can convince me like this isn't real. But when it's somebody like Richard, like, you know, a peer telling me this stuff, I'm like, this could happen to me. And, yeah. <laughs> and my brain does a bunch of fucky shit. Right. You telegraph into that whole experience and you're starting to relive it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But yeah, it was a crazy experience. I mean, it's um, called vasovagal syncope and it's basically like some people get it when they see blood or like, um, you know, some people get it when they like hear a crazy story or something and they just like pass out at the side of blood or story or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what wow. I suffer from sometimes with that stuff. So this has happened, has this happened on a podcast before? That was the first one. That was the first time on a podcast, but it's happened a lot of times before, like just in life. Like, so is it always like you actually just pass out? Yeah, I feel it coming on. Like, I feel like queasy and like fucked up. But I, I mean, I get lightheaded all the time, right? Like, that's pretty common. Um, and then usually when I get lightheaded, I'm just like, oh man, I like haven't eaten enough food today or something. Or like, you know, maybe I need to drink some water or some shit. So I, I can never, and that happens like literally almost every day. Like oh, wow. Okay. Like, I get lightheaded fucking all the time. So when this happens, like every couple of years, I'm like, it's very hard to tell if it's like me just being lightheaded or if it's like me about to pass out and crack <laughs> my head open. Down. Yeah. <laughs> down, down for the count from Richard's fucking story. Yeah. Wow, dude. That is, that is, uh, are you going to put that on the YouTube channel? Uh, I, I released it to my patrons. So, <laughs> so yeah, anyone who's uh, subscribed to my, my Patreon, they're uh, able to watch me pass out. Well, well, you know, that's a, it's a good warning because I, uh, my family, my sister's a doctor and she, uh, just has all these really crazy stories and sometimes, and because of that, like I will internalize them and start retelling them. <clears throat> and, um, it's just a good reminder that not everyone wants to hear, uh, really gnarly things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really I mean, gruesome stuff. I think it, I think it just depends on the person and it depends on the day too, right? Like, I mean, I can hear fucked up stories sometimes and it's fine, Yeah. but sometimes it's not. (laughs) It's hard to tell what day it's going to be. Wow. I think, I think that day, like I'd also, it was, we were doing the podcast at about this time, like four or 5 PM. And I had woken up pretty early and I just like fasted all day. So I also like hadn't really. Oh, wow. So I think that was part of it as well. Do you, do you fast often? Uh, yeah, every day. 
So, I mean, I've eaten today, but like, yeah, I usually um, do 16, 8. So um, I stop eating at like 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. And then I don't start eating again the next day until about midday. Mm-hmm. And how does that how does that work for you and for your for your creative process? I, I actually like it. I feel like I'm way clearer in the mornings when I'm fasted than after I eat. I find actually like after I eat, I'm like, fuck, man, I'm tired. Why do I even eat food? <laughs> yeah. Um, what about yeah, you? Yeah, I'm the same way. Yes, you- I, I produce the same thing, although I, I, I've reduced my um, window just a little bit. So um, I, I've gotten, over this past year, I've gotten super addicted to heavy exercise and I was going to work out fasted and then I was coming back and crashing really hard. Mm. But, um, for me, the, the morning, like when I get up and come into the studio and I have my coffee and then I work between that time and when I have breakfast, like that's the magic window is Mm. I'm just like you, as soon as I have food, maybe I'll get something done, maybe not, but I feel like my brain is now suboptimal. That morning caffeinated fasted state, that's like, that's, it's the best. Yeah. It's almost like smoking weed. Hey, like you eat a bunch yes. of food and you're all, all of a sudden you're like, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> That's yeah, cool. It feels like um, taking a huge bong load. Yeah, totally. I also agree like the morning is sort of the, the best time to write, um, but it's also the sort of time when you want to be like, where's the emails at? And like check that too. So it's, <laughs> it's almost like I think the better um, like series of events for a creative person is like don't do emails in the morning at all. Just do like music shit and then do the emails at, at night because it's like low effort work. It's like doesn't require a shit ton of your attention. Exactly. Um, that's, what I, I, that's exactly how I do it. Yeah, I think something about like also just having come from dreamland, like your brain is still, you know, maybe somewhat secreting DMT or something like that. So <laughs> yeah. you may be a little bit more in the uh, realm to make music. Yeah, I, I, I will very frequently go to bed with a song or a problem that's that's happening on some tr- some project that I'm working on and I'll wake up and it will be clear. It's like the fresh ears thing. excuse me I think fresh ears extends beyond just your actual ears but like I'll go to sleep and I'll journal before I go to bed a lot of times about just what I'm thinking about what I'm working on and then it's like offline processing when I'm sleeping your subconscious mind is chewing through these problems and and um coming up with solutions I really I really do believe in the power of of sleep I'm a way better person and certainly a better creative when I'm, when I'm sleeping really well. Yeah. I mean, it's where like all of the learning happens. It's where all muscle growth happens. It's like it's, sleep is like where all shit goes on. It's like the, the daytime is just like, yeah, just being getting all, yeah, exactly. It's like sleeping seems to be when all the magic happens. Speaking of which I was reading <clears throat> your blog earlier. Um, and I noticed that you do like, uh, you make posts about like favorite books you've read. Um, and one of them was Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, which oh, I yeah. haven't read the book, but I've like heard that he was on Joe Rogan and I watched that podcast. And yeah, it's by far my favorite Joe Rogan episode. Um, oh yeah, he he's amazing. About, yeah, he talks about so much crazy stuff. But yeah, that um, I should listen to the audio book of that or something. I Yeah, if you're into sleep, I, I definitely recommend the book. It's it's really long and he goes into great detail, but it, it completely changed my life. Um, 
There's also someone that Joe Rogan had on recently called Dr. Andrew Huberman. Um, he has a podcast that he just started and he's, he's a neurobiologist at Stanford and he talks about this stuff as well. And, um, through, through both of, of these, uh, these researchers and doctors, I've been able to completely reboot my whole, <laughs> my entire sleep life. I think the main takeaway from why we sleep is that, um, sleep affects everything that you care about, right? Just like you said, from muscle growth, memory, emotion, all, all sorts of physical health, where, where I think that we learned that sleep was something that you just kind of did just to get through, but really it affects absolutely everything. So I've gotten really nerdy about all of the sleep hygiene stuff. And um, I don't know, it's just like, it it really works. It all really pays dividends like i it's it's some it's cool too because you have to it's something you have to do every day and it's really easy to experiment with to see what works for you and and what doesn't i mean one of the one of the main things which is it's just funny how obvious it is but he talks about sleep consistency of like basically going to bed and waking up at the same time every night is really really important because if you and you're like in tour life or when you're playing shows your your sleep is constantly moving around but basically like you your circadian rhythm is is clocked to sunlight and it doesn't shift very much at a time. It can only shift like an hour at a time. So if you're going to bed, let's say at 11 p.m. every night, if one of those nights you go to bed at three, it's not like your entire clock just moves from three to 11 a.m. You are now just getting less sleep. So um, I, I, I started using his advice and it, yeah, it's really, it's really paid off. But I've never been anyone that's had been someone that's had a very strict routine, especially like in the music world, when you're playing shows, you can't be like, I'm going to go to bed at 10 every single night. <laughs> but except for 2020, I was like, I'm going to go to bed at 10 every night and just like see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 2020 has been pretty good for that kind of thing for sure. Well, it was pretty good, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. It, still, it still feels like 2020. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, what else are you doing like to, to keep up with your sleep? Are you doing like melatonin or anything like that? Yeah. So, um, a couple of, of really big things is that, um, having a cold room is really important because your body has to drop a couple of degrees in temperature. And, um, that's, that's something that I always feel like I intuitively knew, but I didn't really understand it. Um, so focusing on a, a cold room, um, and then also reading a book, a paper book before bed. I, I have a, a sleep tracker thing that I use as well. And that one increased my shortwave, my deep sleep a lot. And what I think that is, is that if you, because you can, if, let's say you go to bed at midnight and you wake up at eight every day, but the quality of those nights is totally different depending on what you were doing before. It's not, even if you, you fell asleep, you can have better or worse sleep. And I found that um, getting deep sleep after reading a book and basically turning off my brain, turning off all of the problem solvers that are in there trying to figure everything out. Because if I, even if I'm reading an article that's about current events, reading like catching up on the the latest election news or something, then it's like uh, I'm, my brain is still turning. That was one of the main things. Um, and then the other one was the biggest needle mover was having time in between the last meal and bed and certainly with alcohol right so it's like if i have a if i have a drink at 9 30 then i go to bed at 10 like my sleep is completely fucked and i track all this stuff too versus if i have 
you know, have a cocktail before dinner at six, go to bed at 10. Like it doesn't really affect it too, too much, but alcohol in general is almost the worst culprit. It's worse than caffeine for me. So, um, the main thing was trying to put in an absolute ideal world, three hours between when my last meal and bed, if not two hours minimum, and then into, into reading that's helped. That's helped a lot. And then I do have, uh, some, some supplements I do the, I found this like melatonin, uh, magnesium CBD supplement thing that, that works oh, really wow. well. Damn. That's like all the things. <laughs> it's all the things in one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah ma- magnesium is something I was trying for a while for sleep and that helped a bit. Um, and I was doing the melatonin spray actually from on it, uh, which is, I guess, Aubrey Marcus's company. I noticed you're on his podcast too. Mm-hmm. Did that um, work for you? That was the spray. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, and since then, I've like kind of stopped uh, doing the spray. And now I just take this pill called Trazodone, which is like a uh, you can just ask your doctor for it and they give it to you, and it's pretty good. Oh, had, had, did you have trouble sleeping um, before this? Just in general? Yeah, I've like I'm the same. I mean, I think most creative people are right. Is <clears throat> your brain is just always like thinking about some musical thing or whatever, and it's like if you go lay down and like you're about to go to sleep and all of a sudden you're like, shit, I got an idea about one thing. I got to go like to my computer and definitely do this now. Cause I for sure won't remember it or you, know, yeah. you don't trust yourself to remember or something. Um, yeah, my sleep was always horrible. Like I would go to bed at, you know, 5am one day and then you go to bed at like 6pm the next day. I'm like just yeah. random as fuck, you know? Um, especially during the winters, like when I was living in Colorado up until recently, I moved to San Francisco uh, the start of last year. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, in Colorado, the winters get like so short, the sun goes down at like, I don't know, four or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's basically dark by five and then it doesn't come up again until like 9am. So, uh, yeah. So I was just like pretty much constantly living in the dark for like you know, a couple of months a year as well for times. And, yeah, but yeah, since moving here, where there's like a more consistent sun schedule uh, than in Colorado, um, I found it's been a little better. Makes a big difference too. It's always just, I'm, it cracks me up because I have so many of these conversations. I feel like my creative friends and community, you have we have these. The, we want to find systems and create things, and without touring and traveling, we're like everyone's sleep hacking and intermittent fasting and working out or meditating or whatever the hell. It's just like this. It's, it's so funny to have these conversations where I think before we would have been like, what festival you're at or talking about airplane time, <laughs> like jet lag hacks. But now it's like, we have to try to con- control your environment and make, and make the best of it. But it's, it's really funny how much I've been having these conversations. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's great. Everyone's like on their self-help shit at the moment which is great <laughs> yes um do you find uh like um routine to be like very compatible with creativity or are you more creative when you don't have any routine at all um i love this question and it's something that i've thought about and experimented with a lot and so over the course of the of the past year i um i went i tried the whole time blocking thing um have you ever messed with that? Like Pomodoro timers and stuff? Where? No, time blocking is, it comes from this book called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And basically- uh, I actually just listened to this. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basic idea is that you divide up your day into these blocks. Right. Yeah. And um, 
for him, it's interesting because he's a he's a computer science professor. He's a, like he's in he's an engineering mind, and he's also in academia. So I think if you work in and if you're a strict knowledge worker, you can chop up your day into these little chunks of time where it's like 30 minutes, I'm going to do this. And then 30 minutes, I'm going to do this. And then I have uh, going to go for a run and then have a call. Um, so I tried this for a while and and it, it didn't really produce the best results. So I've had a, a middle ground, but the, the best thing from it though is, is, is scheduling the projects um, with the highest priority early on in the morning but I'll like my my schedule in an absolutely ideal day looks pretty free. So I don't I'm not like 30 minutes I'm going to build Ableton patches and then I'm going to go into sound design world. I'm just like it has to be more open and fluid because you know it's like things come up that you never would have thought about. And so I think that when I was too rigid it would actually fuck up the whole process. So um but the best part of doing the time blocking stuff was scheduling internet time so i know that like so recently i've been getting up at around 6 30 um i have a meditation practice i um exercise just a little bit i kind of like move around get the blood going let's say by like 7 or 7 30 i do like 7 to 11 roughly give or take a little bit depending on what's going on in the studio and then I have scheduled internet and admin and email time where I can then like stop if there's if there's things to do, but I don't schedule any calls or anything before that. And that's been really helpful for me to just have feel like my creative brain, if it knows that it gets a three hour chunk to just do whatever the fuck it wants, that it comes up with really good ideas if it doesn't feel too constrained. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good good point. Yeah, I found the same thing. Like um I I can't really be like, oh, yeah, I got 30 minutes to work on music here, so I'll just work on music for 30 minutes and then do a call and then, like, go out for lunch and then, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I kind of have to have just, like, an open day where it's just, like, music can happen in this time maybe. <laughs> yes. And then, like, I'm, that, that's it. I feel like it's, like, in <laughs> Buddhism they talk about, like, with meditation practice it's not too tight or not too loose. Like, you don't want to grasp on to the moment too hard or completely just flail. I feel it's the same thing with music. Um, but you know, sometimes if we're releasing albums, if we're doing more admin stuff, I will have to like, um, you know, go on Slack and talk to people or answer emails and fill out spreadsheets and stuff like that. But I, I tend to want to put that stuff all in one day so that I'm just like you said, I'll have like more full creative blocks to focus and then do the other work stuff separately. Cause I think that the real enemy is context switching, right? It's like moving back and forth mm. between all these different things. It's like social media, YouTube, music, learning right. scale, back to the news. Like that, that is no bueno. That will not produce <laughs> very many good results. It's all about like doing one thing at a time. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like a cost associated with switching, right? And if you do it a lot, it gets really expensive. Waste a lot of time. Because, yeah, it takes like a lot of time, I think, to get into the flow state of writing music. And then if you don't respect that you're in the flow state and you go like, I can totally check, you know, Reddit for a minute. <laughs> then like all of a sudden you're like, damn it, knocked myself out of the flow state. I know. I'm like, oh, I'm in the flow. I'm like, oh, I might as well just see like might what governments well have to Yeah, just like <laughs> flow into Reddit, see what this guy had for breakfast. Um, that would be really fascinating. And then, yes, then it, then it 
it goes away. But I, I, I totally agree with you though, that like having that, that fluidity of, um, maybe music's going to happen, maybe not. I don't have to actually really do anything that the paradox is that that produces the better result, better results than if I'm like, I have one hour to make a song and it's like, well, I could write a, a beat in an hour, but it's not actually going to be a very good <laughs> or have the depth that I want if I if I have a whole chunk of time to uh, to really focus on it. And I'm not sure if you do this, but <clears throat> something I've started doing this year as well is like debriefing from each project. Um, so let's say I'm working on on a new album. I'll like just write a couple words about it and. Not a, it's not a, it's not a ton, but when I'm done writing, I'll write about what works, what didn't work, to take some notes on on that, and then that has really helped me keep track of the process and learn from like, wow, when I do this, this produces good results, and when I do that, it doesn't. Mm, yeah, I don't do that, but that's a good I- idea. What I have noticed um, over the past year is like. Uh, I've just become like a lot more aware of like what my creative process even is. Uh, I think like I've been doing this shit for so long that you would think I would understand like how my shit works, but um, <laughs> it like for some reason only sort of has started clicking, you know, in this in this last year because <laughs> I've I guess I've had so much time to think. Um, it's been a like lot of reflection. I'm I love this conversation, but like, what are what have you learned about your creative process through this? Like, what are the ingredients for you that really work? I've learned that um, I can't be like working on more than one song at a time if I really want to finish music, because otherwise I just end up with like tons and tons of whips, um, and then I just never come back to them. So I have to like there's I have to be like I'm gonna finish this song and then like work on that just every day until it's done. I've noticed that's the only way I get music actually finished. That was a big one. Um, Another big one is that like uh, I feel like I do a lot better if I feel like I'm trying to impress someone whilst I'm producing. And an example of that is like streaming on Twitch, right? Um, I'm much less liable to get distracted. Uh, This also happens if someone's in the studio and I'm collaborating with them or something. Like I'm much less liable to stop and do shit like check Reddit if somebody's watching because I feel like (laughs) I'm like trying to perform for them almost in in a way. You You have that accountability there. Yeah, exactly. So I find like streaming on Twitch has been really helpful. Oh, that's cool. Um, But it almost seems a little bit like a crutch as well. It's like, you know, I shouldn't need to do this. um, (laughs) Whatever works though. That's, that's a good one. I I mean, I, I, that's, it's the same thing with English mob. I mean, I think also it's different when you're a solo artist, you know, I've got various collaborations, but um, yeah, like when we're all in the studio together and we'll do a round robin where someone's driving physically, at, you know, if we're all three in in the same room, then yes, like I'm certainly not going to just stop and go look at the news in the middle of a live, <laughs> <laughs> like writing something. But if I'm alone, I'll be much more prone to do that. Um, I also find that something he talks about in deep work, which I which I do respect, is like creating a little ritual around stuff. Like Pomodoro is great, but even even being like starting and stopping my day. So I'm like, okay, today I'm going to start working. I put my phone away. I ceremoniously like take my iPhone and put it in the closet. Like, okay, now it's time to get into flow where I'm like sort of telling myself that it's all going to happen. And I have a little bell that I ring. I'm like, okay, thus begins the process (laughs) instead of just like bumbling into it and seeing what happens and having some, um, some intentionality around it is, 
is is uh is really helpful now that I don't have in-person collaborators to keep me honest. Yeah, that's a good idea actually. I should probably do something more like that. I actually I did this the other day. I put my phone in the kitchen and unplugged my internet and tried to write music for a while and um like even just from muscle memory, I would keep pressing alt tab <laughs> just to like tab to something else and I'd be like, "Oh, that's right. There's nothing to look at there." <laughs> Um, it's just like so heavily ingrained in my yes. system to do this. The alt tab. Yeah, I, absolutely. Yeah. The, do you ever use Pomodoro timers? Yeah, I do. I got one the other day and what I realized is I can't even do one anymore. Like my attention span is that fucked. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I literally get like halfway into one and I'm like, oh man, this is, <laughs> this is tough. Um, and the only thing that seems to fix it at the moment is streaming, but uh yeah, I should I should definitely practice these things more. The other thing that doesn't help is my Pomodoro timer is on my phone, so it's like my phone like also would have to be in front of me. And gotta get one of these. Yeah, I should definitely get one of those. Five bucks on Amazon or something, but it's nice to have them. Like, okay, I'm turning the thing. I'm like, okay, here we go. Attention, mm-hmm. focus, and then it just I have it right there. And I, I do think that removing your phone entirely because it's not only just about having your phone accessible, but I I. I mean, there's been research about this, but like when your phone is in proximity to you, we have trained our brain to outsource uh, its faculties to the phone. It's like, well, the phone's here. Well, I don't have to think about this. I can <laughs> never be bored. And like boredom, I think boredom is actually a real precondition to good creativity. Just, it's okay to be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Cause we're so, you, there's never a moment where you just sit in there like, I don't know what I'm doing. What, right. Because you've, it's always filled up. And I think that that, that, does help with the creative process. So for me, um, having the Pomodoro timer and sometimes I'll be like, oh fuck, it's only been five minutes and now I'm, I'm bored. So I'm going to go try something else. But it's that, that mind wandering that can really produce good ideas. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree. The phone is kind of like this digital pacifier that gives us constant, uh, you know, dopamine and hits or whatever. But I, yeah, I agree. I think, um, boredom is like a healthy healthy thing I actually re- that's a big thing I realized through quarantine as well um and I was getting into meditation actually for a bit via Sam Harris's waking up app which I thought was pretty cool it's a um, great app yeah yeah and one thing he says is that um uh he, he notices as soon as he starts meditating that he's just been hijacked by the most boring person ever and I, I totally agree and have that yes. exact same experience. It's like as soon as I start meditating, I'm just like, hmm, I wonder if, uh, you know, I need to get a haircut or like yeah. just start thinking like, hmm, is the, do I need to do a load of washing? Or like, just, yeah, or, I'm thirsty. There is a mug over there. I'm going to bring that mug to my mouth and then take a sip. And the fact that you're constantly narrating this stuff, you would never even really realize it <laughs> yeah, until exactly. you're meditating and you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, you have a pretty strict meditation routine? Yeah. Um, I also think that meditation is good for, for this stuff. I think that, uh, in my spirit, in my experience, um, meditating for 10 or 20 minutes in the morning, um, it trains you to be okay with, without your digital pacifier there. And I, and, and, Although meditation itself, I don't think generates ideas, but it's like practice for being in a state where, you know, constantly having this tick where you're focusing on something and then there's this like, what's, what's going on on Reddit or whatever. Um, 
Yeah, that, this is the actually entire reason why I wanted to start doing it. It's because I was like, maybe this would be like a good thing to regain yeah. control of my attention is like meditation. I, I think it is. And I think the deeper you get into it, um, what will help you is is it helps for helps with with self awareness. So, on really deep meditations, I'll be there, and like I'll, I'll be meditating, and I know that there the whole point you say it in the beginning of a meditation is for the next twenty minutes, I don't have to do any planning. There's nothing to plan. I'm just meditating, and all of a sudden, my productive mind will come online <laughs> and be like, "But there's that email to respond to," and then it's it's just watching. The, the tick, it's almost like a nervous tick of my attention constantly wandering. So I think once I realized that and how I had trained myself to constantly be moving away from this and also like how important flow states are for making good music, like, and, and you know, making, making good music and, and having fun doing it, like that's the most important thing to me. So any, anything to me that's going to make me better at that and make me more productive I am all about in meditation. I really think, I really think helps with that. Yeah, I'm, I've been meditating every morning for a while. And when I travel and stuff, I don't always meditate. I mean, sometimes I do, but when I'm here at home, it's pretty much every day. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I go through phases. I've like, I'll do it for a few weeks, and then I'll like slack on it for about a month, and then I'll like do it for totally. a few weeks again. Yeah, yeah. Which is funny, right? Because it is only like the ones I do are like 10, 20 minutes, like pretty short. I mean, actually, like generally, I find twenty minutes of meditation to be like uh, like tons. But when you think about it, it's like twenty minutes is fuck all of your day. It's like such a short amount of time. It's such a short amount of time. I mean, twenty minutes will absolutely just disappear if you're on your phone. Be like, mm -hmm. wow, an hour just went by. What was I even actually doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when you're like actually trying to meditate and do literally nothing, it feels like <laughs> yeah. an hour and a half or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It. it I mean, even, even a couple minutes, even if, if, uh, like five minutes can be good, 10 minutes, but, um, for me, I, I'm 20 is about my, my sweet spot. I've done longer ones. I've been to like meditation retreats in the desert where you like oh, you meditate. Like the seven day thing or 10 day thing or whatever. 10 day. Yeah. 10 day retreats. Um, and that was good to get my meditation muscles really primed and strong when you certainly don't need to do that to to get the benefit of it i mean i think it's good for all sorts of things but specifically for creative people and if your creativity is on a computer i think you have an even an extra challenge because if your instrument is the guitar you have to set the guitar down and like go over to your computer <laughs> and open up reddit it's a lot harder if you're practicing guitar but for us it's like the computer is an instrument. I have push here. I have my computer. Oh, then I also just have like everything, every entertaining thing ever is also here. So yeah, you have okay. to, you have to have stronger attention, uh, control and awareness to be able to not get sucked into that hole every time, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like being a TV repairman in the seventies or something. It's like all of a sudden you're just watching the TV. You're like, oh, I'm not <laughs> exactly. even repairing this thing. Anymore. Uh, yeah. That's that's pretty much it. You know, I haven't tried unplugging the internet, but I do have. Um, do you have cold turkey or whatever it's called? Yeah, I have one of those, like a Chrome plug-in. For me, getting rid of the phone is easy. It's actually it's more like, yeah, if I'm opening my my email or just what's just seeing what's. It's like I have to close Twitter. Twitter is the one that usually gets me. 
Yeah, Twitter is pretty engaging because it's like just short little bites of information. It's like there's no work that needs to be done to ingest like a tweet, right? There's a shitload of work that goes into, say, ingesting a book. But, you know, trying to just ingest one sentence of stuff is it's very satisfying and easy and everyone can do it. It's like looking Appetizers. at... Appetizers. Yeah, it's like a text message or something. I actually thought about... Um, actually, my girlfriend thought of this... Uh, that it would be a good way to feed someone a book is like just in tweets. Just one tweet at a time, one sentence at a time. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if, you know. Oh, that would be great. I mean, especially if you could get people to read without them actually knowing it just by tweeting the entire thing. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, I just read Why We Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how long that would take to do a study on that i mean so i I think the book is like 19 hours on on audible or something and i was doing a lot of driving from la to san francisco my family lives up there so it was really easy it was just like a couple a couple long drives but um in tweets i wonder how long that would actually take have you there's have you seen this uh there's a, a software piece of software i forgot what it's called but you basically like you stare at it and then it runs through the text and because like a lot of the time that you spend reading is actually scanning left to right moving mm. like this and there's actually there's actually something that will actually basically just like blast through text where you don't have to move your eyes at all you just stare and it, the you can actually read like that but it doesn't really it's not deep it doesn't really go into the deep recesses of my of my mind i feel like speed reading is is all kind of a it's a little bit of a of a ruse yeah, have you done this thing where you like shut one eyelid and put your finger on it and then like read a book and notice like when you get to the end of every line and then go back to the start of the next line, you can feel your eyeball like jolt? Uh-uh. So this is something I like read in a Tim Ferriss article and um, he's like, uh, what is it? It's called like a saccadic movement or something. I don't know what it's called. A saccadic stop or whatever. Uh-huh. Basically, it's like this thing where like you get to the end of a line, your eyeball like physically like stops and then like has to reset and then start again and it actually takes like a quarter of a second to do that oh wow so yeah it's like every line you it's it's costing you like a bit of time right and that adds up if you're reading a big ass book you know so it really adds up yeah do you read uh typically in uh paper books or do you read like kindle ebook i particularly mostly listen to audio books and podcasts yeah i just i feel like um uh, the activity of like reading for me, it just seems like very draining. Yeah. Uh, and listening to audiobooks, I kind of like just having an audiobook in my AirPods and like walking around the house doing work or something, you know, like cleaning or some shit. So okay. I'm like, so for you, the, uh, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this because I'm, I, I just don't know when people actually listen to podcasts without travel. Because for me, I was always listening to so many audiobooks and podcasting when we were always in and out of airports. So um, for you, it's, when you're, when you're doing chores around the house? It's either when I'm driving, because I still drive like a little bit, you know, like I went mountain biking today, so I had to drive there. And um, uh, so it's when I'm, you know, driving to do that kind of stuff. But also, yeah, mostly when I'm like doing shit around the house. And, you know, sometimes when I don't want to write music and also don't want to be sitting at my computer, um, I'll just sort of like walk around the house and listen to shit as well. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to try the the Mr. Bill House audio audiobook wander. 
<laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, I every now and then have to like brush my cat and that takes a while. So I usually listen to a podcast while I'm doing that. And like, <laughs> that's good. Sometimes I'll do it when I'm cooking or if I'm doing a lot of... <clears throat> yeah, that's a great time to do it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like when you're just doing kind of semi-mind, like cooking's not so mindless, but um, you know, like shit that you can kind of do on autopilot. Yes. It's uh, a lot more boring to do it if you're not listening to an audiobook. Um, right. And it feels like a bit of a drag. But if you're also listening to an audiobook, it's like you're getting enough shit input into your system that you're like, this is fine. <laughs> yeah, totally. I also feel like there are certain types of books that lend themselves to be consumed in that way. It was like Why We Sleep, it was so dense with information that mm. I didn't have to pay attention to to everything. Um, I'm listening to this book right now. I'm doing a drive in the next week or two, but this book, The Immortality Key, which is incredible. Um, it's so dense though that I, I can't really skip anything. So I tried to listen. I'm sitting here like cutting carrots, listening to him talk about the Eleusinian mysteries and how psychedelics influenced culture through ancient Greece. And I would like move to like cut up a carrot <laughs> sort of like my, my attention would stray from it for 30 seconds and I would come back in and I will, I was completely lost. So I find that like yeah. if there's too much information or it's too dense. I can't actually follow along. That happens to me a lot, actually. Like there'll be times where something will happen that I'm doing where I'll like my attention will be diverted and I clearly am not listening to the book and then I'll come back in, like my attention will come back into the book and I'll be like, what the fuck's going on? But I just like, don't let that stop me. Like I'll just keep listening and eventually it'll make sense. I'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I get the point. Cause a lot of authors, they kind of like really beat yes. a point home, you know, like they'll, they'll sort of introduce an idea then they'll be like, and then here's an example of the same idea. And then they'll be like, but then check out this example of that idea <laughs> also. Again. And then it's like, and also this guy did a study <laughs> and like blah, blah, blah. And it's just all, over and, and then, over again. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, if you miss one of them, it's like you'll get the next one. That's, that's how it is with, with, with a lot of those books. Yeah, Why We Sleep. I think you probably got most of what you need from probably listening to, to the podcast unless you want to really nerd out on all the, on all the little details. Yeah, I felt that way. I, I, I kind of felt like the podcast was pretty comprehensive it's like three hours i mean joe rogan doesn't fuck around with these podcasts no they're like three hours each oh it's it's crazy they're 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 really long yeah it's also crazy to me that he does like three a day or something you know it's like some some days he'll do three which is just like nine hours of talking and wow. then i mean he also like i mean i guess he's just a professional talker really isn't he like yeah he does that plus mma commentary plus comedian stuff He's a, he, he just sits around and talks and makes jokes and he's made, he's made a whole, a whole career out of doing that. And he's, he's, he's one of the best. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I see in your, uh, favorite books of 2019, one of them is Conscious by Annika Harris. That's someone that I've got on my list to listen to pretty soon as well. Oh, that's such a good one. I love reading about consciousness and philosophy of mind. And that's, um, that's one of the best ones, I think, especially as an intro, because some of them can get really dense. Um, the like pop neuroscience books or like I was reading um, recently started super intelligence, just about AI by Nick Bostrom. And like, it's extremely dense, but um, this and the, the Annika Harris book, she boils a lot of the um, concepts down so much that it's, it's really fun to read. I love books like that. There's another one, an author named Carlo Rovelli, <clears throat> who boils down 
physics and um, all sorts of strange quantum physics terminology and concepts. So it's almost like poetry. It's really, it's really cool. And, and her book is, is very similar to that. Mm. It's a great yeah. one. Yeah. I kind of figured it would be like that. Cause she also has like some like meditation for children uh, apps and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I'm same. I, I really find uh, consciousness to be a pretty interesting subject. Cause I mean, like there's no answer for it. We have no fucking idea what it is, but it's like yes. kind of cool to listen to really smart people like dabble <laughs> in their theories about it at least. Yes. And just talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the, that's the fun part about reading about this stuff uh, in, in, at the intersection of consciousness and philosophy and creativity is that it's, it's very clear, especially when it comes to consciousness, that no one really has any idea why this stuff happens. There's all these theories. And she talks a lot about panpsychism in that book. Then that's like the concept that consciousness doesn't just emerge from uh, our brains, but it's actually more of like a, it's a, uh, it emerges from matter in general and consciousness is, is, is everywhere. And it's, um, it's more of it's something that we th we think that we it, it feels like it's special to be a human because we have this particular type of consciousness that animals have a different flavor of it but panpsychism says that consciousness is pretty much everywhere and it emerges in different ways depending on the quality of of matter and um, I think a lot of these things are like thought experiments to jostle the way that we experience life but when you start reading about panpsychism there's more and more serious scientists that talk about the fact that matter has consciousness in it somehow and then it just emerges depending on how you put all of the molecules together yeah right crazy yeah i really need to listen to this uh, i really love um sam stuff uh, and i assume like her and sam share a lot of the same ideas as they're probably chatting about shit every day oh yes yeah she's <laughs> she has a very scientific mind and yeah i bought her um her children's meditation or she has a, a, a book for children um that's basically like a children's mindfulness book i bought that for for my niece for christmas it's it's really great but i, I love anything that's at the intersection of like questioning reality meaning of life, philosophy, all of the stuff. And the, the, the deeper you go, the, the more you realize that no one really has any idea what's going on. So yeah, totally. just like have fun with it. Yeah, I saw in, um, I'm looking just through all of your favorite books now, seeing what else you're reading. Um, I saw you read some Sam Harris in 2015. Have you read his book, Free Will? Yes. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of that one? Um, when I first read it, it completely fucked me up. I was like, wow, I just, it, it, it rebooted the way that I felt as a human moving through the world. Um, and I've, I've actually reread it a couple of times. It's a really good audiobook too. And the more I've heard him having conversations with people and had more conversations on my own, I think it has, it has lost its, um, it's sting because when I first heard it, I was like, I was like, I just couldn't really wrap my head around it. And with the idea that we, we don't have free will, it can be really frightening to some people. And he talks about how people like ride into his show and they're like, you ruined my life. <laughs> like, when I realized that I didn't actually have free will, it's just life starts to feel strange when there's this sort of philosophical proof that we're all in a video game and you might not be the the author of the this video game or really choosing where where it all goes 
Yeah, I mean, but the arguments he makes, I think, are just so strong. Yes. That it's, it's really hard to be like, no, you're wrong, and I definitely uh, agree well. It's like, yeah. it's almost, I don't know, it feels almost irrefutable. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a, um, it's a fun piece of, it's like a philosophical party trick, because once you go down that rabbit hole, I'm like, I'm not sure that it completely changed the way that I live my life, but... It is something that when you really go look at it, and I've tried to find other philosophers that argue against what he says, and there's all sorts of different um, people who don't necessarily agree with what he's saying. But um, yeah, it's that, that that book. I think is a really it's a total head fuck. Yeah, I mean, I guess like the underlying principle of it is that if you could rewind your brain to the state that it was in like a few seconds ago with every synapse exactly like where it was about to fire again in the exact same way that they just did. Would you have like used the word head fuck there again? And it's like, <laughs> right. the, um, yeah, I guess like we all feel like, yes, we could have, but then there's also the people who argue that like there's randomness, but then also randomness isn't free will. It's just, you're basically being rolled a dice every couple of seconds. <laughs> yes. Like yeah, exactly. And, like if, if, why did I just, decide to reach over and grab that water. Well, it's like, well, cause I, I felt thirsty, but who told me that I was thirsty? I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't choose to feel thirsty. <laughs> right. And there's like so many things that are loaded into your system already that like made that glass even be full of water and not rum or something. <laughs> yes. How do you know it's not vodka though? Oh yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask as well about like, uh, we sort of started going into glitch mob stuff earlier, but um, I just wanted to ask like what the process is like for writing with those guys and what is it like now? Are you guys actually meeting up for sessions or are you like uh, all sort of separated and potting in your own sort of groups? Or? Yeah. Um, so we had a studio in Highland Park in Los Angeles for a couple of years that we moved out of during the pandemic in the beginning of March, April, 2020. I think. And, um, we typically, I mean, all of our music had been written in person. Um, all the albums, we would start sketches and we would bring sketches to the studio. So we wouldn't start from a blank slate, but we would all kind of go off, explore some territory. Everything is, we save everything on Dropbox and like all of the Ableton sessions are all, all there. So you can like go in and pull someone else's drums out if you like them. So it's very like open source within with English mob and um, we write a ton of sketches, bring them together and then pick the ones that we like little bits about. I think for, for our last album for see with that eyes, we had like 25 sketches or so. And then we can kind of like thread an album through choosing all the best bits of, from those, those sketches. Um, and now we're, we've just started writing another album. Um, but because we're not in person, it's a totally different process. And we're really just figuring it out right now. All of our, I mean, when we wrote Love, Death, Immortality, the second record, we were, we moved out to Joshua Tree for a month and we were out there writing music every day and hanging out and just fucking around in the desert and having fun. And so it was really like an, ex, an ex, expression of that. And we knew we were going to go tour. So there's this like feedback loop with writing an album, going to build a live show, go tour and go back to the studio, that whole loop, which is off now and I do think that it's it's going to take us a little while to figure out um where this will go because we don't have that but I think that 
uncertainty can make really good music, right? Because it's like we are now forced to do something totally different. So we're starting a process right now where we are we're doing the same thing, where we are all off writing writing sketches, um, and then we will all come together, probably not in person, probably like you know on a FaceTime or something, and just talk about them, listen to them, choose favorite bits. Um, but I. It, it's it, I'm I'm we're leaning into the strangeness of the whole experience, but I'm really looking forward to getting back together in person because there is something magical about an in-person um, collaboration that you really can't capture. It's just a different thing remotely. But there are some people that can write music remotely and have it be amazing. And I have I've worked on lots of remixes and collaborations with people we never met in person, but um for us it's taking like a reboot of the whole creative process like how you were talking about you know your creative process like glitch mob as an individual we go through you know it typically takes us about a year to write a full album obviously less for for an ep so right now we're just seeing how this is all going to happen but um the feeling is is generally that because the live music world is gone that this is going to be really good time for creativity in general for everyone. I think that with with all this uncertainty, we have a chance to say something new and different. And, and I always think about, um, David Byrne talks about this in his book, uh, how music works, but how music is, is in relationship to the venue in which it's performed, where it's like, you can listen to music that's meant to be played at a festival an EDM festival and like you can hear it in there like just the way the reverb sounds you know you can you can the way the the patches are mixed the drums are mixed like it has that sound or David Byrne talks about how when he was early on writing punk rock and how like you could hear the grit of the punk rock speakers in the music and like this doesn't exist in a vacuum you know like we think about where we're about how people are going to listen to this whether they're dancing to it or whether they're just listening in headphones and um, because that's not here right now, and we don't have that feedback feedback loop, it's like we have this big creative element and a that we've been writing with, and now it's totally gone. So um, I think the next album is going to be totally different <laughs> than anything we've done before. <clears throat> yeah, I, I've talked about this a little on the podcast as well. It's like um, the idea that having shows on the weekend is sort of like this inbuilt deadline for having music that needs to be finished or playable or whatever for the weekend. That's another thing that I learned a lot about my process with during this is, uh, is that I work really well to deadlines. Like if I know something has to be done by X date, it's kind of like the, um, uh, I don't know. It's like some phenomena thing where it's like, however much money or however many resources get, uh, assigned to a thing is like how m much resources that thing will, right. will take. Right. It's kind of like, if you give a city plan a $1.2 million to make a bridge, they're going to make a $1.2 million bridge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not, you know, if you, or it's if you like give Parkinson's them, law, right? Yeah. Like if you give them half a million dollars to make a bridge, they're going to just make a half a million dollar bridge. It's like, what <laughs> a, it's, it's like with music, if you assign me an infinite amount of time to make an album, I'll take an infinite amount of time to make an album. But if you assign me until this Friday to have something playable, then I'll have something playable by Friday. Yes. Um, yes. Parkinson's law says that the amount the, the work will take up the amount of allotted time, no matter <laughs> how long that is. And I think that I've, I've been thinking about that a lot as, as well, that deadlines are, 
they're like miracle grow for the process. If you don't have a deadline, it, it can actually be really bad for you. And if you don't have any reason to create one, if you're an independent artist and you're releasing your own music on your own schedule, I think having deadlines or accountability with someone else or just something can really help speed up the process and helps with, with follow through. And I mean, a lot of people, you know, you're talking about like working on Twitch. Um, there's a lot of people who like on Twitter are posting these beat videos where there's just some kind of like, like the count posts these crazy, like minute long beat loops. He's amazing. Um, having some kind of public accountability and deadlines is, is super important. And I make, uh, deadlines for myself and I have other people help me keep, keep, to keep accountable to them and put them on the calendar so that it just doesn't go away and disappear because if they're not actually prioritized, then yeah, it won't really get done. Yeah. It's easy if you don't have a deadline with music to like treat it as a low priority thing too. Right. Cause it's, uh, it just feels like, uh, by answering that email or by like, you know, paying, that amount of money to that thing so that starts happening or whatever feels so much more important sometimes than yes. than writing a piece of music because you're like, well, it can happen whenever and who gives a shit? It's just music. It's not like, you know, it's not like I have to give the money to that guy or whatever <laughs> or <laughs> yeah. some, some shit like that. Um, when, I mean, it really should be the other way around, right? It should be like, this music thing is like the most important thing and the money to the guy thing, fuck that. <laughs> that can happen whenever. <laughs> That's exactly, yeah. Like, I think music is the, it's it's the lead domino for everything else. Or it's like, I think same thing for, for like photographers and writers who are actually just doing the thing. You know, if, in War of Art, he calls that the resistance. Like there's this gravitational force that wants you to not do the thing that you're actually meant, meant to do. And it can show up as paying the guy or looking at the price of fucking Dogecoin or <laughs> Bitcoin or whatever. Like whatever that, that sticky thing is, um, it's really easy to get caught in those rabbit holes. Yeah, The War of Art is great. I really enjoyed that book. I like that. Yeah, he talks a lot about um yeah i just like the fact that he talks about art as like this aggressive thing that you're having to fight against all the time yeah he, I, the main point i took away from that book was um that if you just like show up every day you'll you're bound to hit something at some point it's kind of like um i almost think about the creative my creative process as like um this shotgun approach it's like if i just throw every idea at the wall like one of them suppose one i'll like one of them you know like yeah uh, and it's sort of the same with, uh, on a macro level to actually just making music in general. It's like, if you show up every single day, it's like you're bound to make something good on one of those days. Cause you've just you know, shown up so many times. Yes. And that's what he talks about as the difference between the amateur and the professional is that is the amateur tries, it overthinks everything and it has to be perfect and you get caught in perfectionism, but really the professional just knows that you show up and you just, you do the same thing rinse and repeat your routine every day and eventually something will will hit and um yeah i mean he he talks he talks a lot about the idea of, of and resistance is the thing that wants to keep you from doing that and it can show up in the form of um distractions or other projects and it's just it's funny too cuz like that that metaphor for me has has really helped too. It just goes back to what we we're talking about, with like getting, getting to work first thing in the morning and knowing that this is my first priority and really like, ha and being really clear about the fact that, um, being in flow with music is, is the most important thing and everything else I really care about comes from there. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it. I should definitely look at that more <laughs> that way. I I feel like just because 2020s had no deadlines and there's not a, not a good way of making deadlines that yeah, my process has slowed down a lot than it than it has in the past. Yeah, I mean, I also like most of my collab most of my music projects are with collaborations. So like with Superposition with my ambient project, Matt and I have a a shared calendar. And we put deadlines. We're like, okay, we're like, we're starting this. We're, we're working on a, on a, a bunch of different uh, collaborations right now, and we're working on four different ones. So we start one, and we basically put in a deadline in the calendar that's kind of like two weeks from today, this thing will be wrapped or whatever that is, depending on, on, um, on that type of project. And that's been that's been really helpful. So when I look at my calendar for the week, like if I'm actually measuring the progress. I will, I will get it done. Right. Yeah. And it almost becomes like writing an essay for school or some shit. It's like, if you get to the night before and you're like, fuck, it's not done. Like you will just cram and get it done. Sort of. Yeah, you still, it's, you still get sent. And I, I think that in those last minutes and the reason why when pressure comes up and sometimes you do really good work there, like, um, earlier this year, Matt and I, I keep saying, we were both saying this year as if it's, 2020 it's so funny it feels like the same thing but yeah. matt and i did we took drink the sea glitch mobs record and we did an ambient like cover version of it where we like or a remix where we just like took the album and um redid it without a lot of drums and uh made a whole new world out of it and we gave ourselves a very hard deadline because we had to finish it and then move on to other stuff and then the last week it took us about a month to write that album but the last week we were like, just, you know what? This patch is good enough. This thing, it's just, it's, it gets the job done instead of thinking of having the time to overthink things so profoundly that I think that when you have to make these decisions and you only have a little bit of time, it doesn't allow the perfectionist ego to come in and be like, well, before I go down this path, I'm going to try every other patch <laughs> and then decides like, I'm going through... So, oh, this sounds good. Cool. We're just going that way. Um, and I look back and I, and I think it, I'm, I'm really happy with, <laughs> with the way it came out. Yeah. I used to be this way a lot when I would send whips to people, you know, like I would, uh, be super excited about this piece of music that I was writing and I would send a message to a buddy, be like, oh man, I'm writing something really sick right now. I'm like super stoked on it. And they'd be like, oh cool. Like send me a render. I'm keen to hear it. And I'd be like, oh shit, I gotta like, get this like to some form of playable state that's like even a minute and a half long or whatever it is so then i would like really quickly in the span of like 10 or 15 minutes just like you know put some ambience in a like intro thing and like just throw a bunch of crap together and be like all right that's good and like then send it to them and yeah i would find like quite often in those times when i would be just like cramming super hard to get a render out for just a random friend or something like that that whose opinion i respected on mix downs or something um, I would like quite often write the intro for a song in like 10 minutes. And it's probably away. great too. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you haven't cleaned up your house in a while, then all of a sudden you're having guests come over and you have an hour and you're like, okay, I'm just going to go and like remove all the towels and random shit. But <laughs> it's like, it actually works. I'm like, oh, the house looks great. Why don't I just do this all the time? But <laughs> I, I think that we are communally organized creatures. Like we work in these networks of tribes of people and like mocking this up 
technologically. There's also something about when you share a song and you, I know exactly what you're talking about too, that, that like 15 minute window of it's going to bang out an intro, throw, throw a limiter on it, do a quick mix yeah, and yeah, exactly. just like tighten everything up. But when you're really under pressure like that, um, you're forced to make quick decisions and rely more on your intuition. And when you can't actually technically overthink things, I think that's a really, that's a good process. I mean, I've been doing these like, um, against the clock challenge things just in my own studio. So sometimes in the morning I'll set a clock for like three hours. And at the end of the three hours, this is something that, um, that, uh, we've been working on for the glitch mob record that Ed edit, um, sent over this text of, of all, he has all these cool tricks that, that he uses for getting, he calls it like sharpening his sword, but he was like, try this against the clock thing. So it's like three hours. And then at the end of the three hours, you have to have something that is, 80% done. It doesn't have to be a completely fully fleshed out thing, but it's like, it should be a, a, an idea that you could play for someone, s send them a file and they would get the picture of what it really is. And, and that's, that's been a fun process to not just get hung up on all the details. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Dylan Ill Gates has a similar thing. It's called uh, timers and recipes. And he'll take a, like a fitness workout timer thing uh, and there'll be like five minute intervals or whatever. And he'll be like, all right, I'm going to assign five minutes to just like picking out samples that I want to use. And then five minutes just to making a beat and then five minutes to like coming up with some sort of melody slash baseline idea. And then, you know, five minutes for doing like some edits and tweaking and then five minutes for a mix down and rendering. And then like in 30 minutes or something, you can just like bang a quick idea out that way. And you can do it like multiple times in a day, you know, you could do like six or seven of those in a day. And then all of a sudden you got six or seven, like random little sketches. Right. There. That's cool. I'll have to try that. I haven't done that one before. Yeah. It's a pretty cool idea. I've tried it a few times and I got some like, okay results out of it. Um, but also I'm like one of those people where I think my music, like the value of my music is just right down in the details mostly, which right. is maybe to say that like the songwriting is weak or something, but, um, yeah, I feel like uh, a lot of the de like editing and just the shit that does take a ton of time yeah. is like where a lot of the value is. So. Right, and the texture. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing with Glitch Mob. I mean, our, if you were to go back and listen to our sketches for our last r r album, and like they're they're okay, it wouldn't be like wow. But the <laughs> difference the the difference between ninety and a hundred percent is huge. Like that's when we really go into all of the, like the subtle mixing stuff, the headphone trickery, like mm. imaging, all, all of that is really where the song comes alive because that's where the personality comes out. Like we're, we're really the exact same way. It's funny how a lot of people say like, oh, this is 95% done, but it's like that last 5% takes like months. It's, it's like <laughs> if that last 5% takes months and the first 95% took like a few weeks, is that last 5% really the 95%? And like, <laughs> no. Yeah. No, it's a fractal. When you look at it, it actually just expands to another 95%. So yeah, that yeah, first exactly. 95% was really just 30%. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> Shit, yeah, man. Well, um, man, thanks so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was a yeah. great chat. I really like the way you look at things. It's cool that you're like really into the like spiritual side of things, but also like, you know, really attuned to the, to sort of the, you know, logic of how the world works and stuff as well. Thanks for having me. Some people who are just, um, I feel like go way too far down that spiritual path, just sort of like lose 
track of what shit actually is. Lose <laughs> track with reality. Yeah, I think for me, spirituality is just asking questions about the way things are and none of them really have answers and that's kind of the fun part. But yeah, thanks right. thanks for having me. It's been fun to be able to to uh, nerd out in, in detail because I've done a lot of podcasts recently and don't really get to go full into all of the like <clears throat> able to near details and really have to like keep it high level so um yeah it's, it's been good to really to really dive in yeah man yeah thanks again hey thanks for listening to the mr bill podcast these episodes are edited and uploaded by robert fumo you can also support the show get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash mr bill's tunes and becoming a patron uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at mistbillstunes.com. Thank you. I'm a